Welcome to Am I Hunting Podcast. This episode, we will be talking about ways you can explore different activities in the outdoors. And in this episode, I guess I get to read the intro because Ty handed me his notebook. You do realize that as you continue talking, like that's going to be edited out because that's part of the intro music. Is it? Yeah. It's intro music, 10 seconds. You clearly don't listen to the show. I don't. <laughs> like I said, I, I haven't listened to it in a good long while. <laughs> <coughs> so yeah, it's 10 seconds, intro music, intro, and then like about 10 seconds of intro music. And then we get into the show. Okay. Well, here. <laughs> All right. Well, let me get into this. So welcome to the My Hunting Podcast. And as you can already tell, my wife Kim is joining me today and it's already come off the rails. It, it always does. <laughs> so yeah, so this episode is going to be going over stuff to basically do out in the outdoors throughout the spring and I guess early summer now. I mean, technically it's not summer yet, but right. we're essentially there. I don't know. This is my favorite season. I know yours is fall. Yeah. Why, why spring and summer yours? Summer, not so much. Summer's too warm for me. So why is the spring your favorite? Because I like to go in the woods and find delicious things. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's something we'll be talking about is... Some of the boraging, boraging stuff. Boraging. 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 Yeah. It's all right. My dad already corrected me today. What did he say? Oh, he, he listened to, the, I think it was the last episode, and I was saying foxes. <laughs> and he says, it's not foxes. It's just fox. So I got to make a point to say, saw some deers. Hmm. <laughs> some gooses. Geeses. <laughs> Mises. Yeah. <laughs> no, it'd be it'd be mouses. Mouses? Meeses? Meese. Mice. Yeah. Who cares? Right. But yeah, so that's what we'll be discussing is stuff that spring and summer activities out in the outdoors. And we tried to do our best to get a bunch of it done probably the past couple of weeks, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but before we get into the actual episode, I do want to highlight again the Total Archery Challenge that's being held at Crystal Mountain Resort in Thompsonville. There are still a few slots available to register. Unfortunately, they only have one of the courses still available, um, which I end up having to sign up for as well. So it's going to be a bit of a challenge because it's from yardages from 40 to 100 yards. And with my current bow set up, I can only really shoot about 75 yards and still use my sights properly so unless you happy gilmore it right the other issue is i have four arrows because the arrows i've ordered probably about a couple months ago still aren't in are we gonna have to make a trip to jay's no because even jay's isn't gonna have the arrows i ordered mm, who would have something quite close um I'm probably just going to shoot the arrows, and if I lose them, I lose them. Don't really want to, though, but if I lose them, I lose them. Because all the other parts are in. I've got the fletching. I've got my inserts. I can get the knocks from 
shooters or gothiers or anything like that. But yeah. But anyways, again, it'll be held this weekend, the Total Archery Challenge. There are still some slots available if you want to shoot any of the courses. If you don't want to shoot any of the courses, you can still come out. There's going to be a ton of vendors out there, events, just a bunch of people that, you know, basically archery people out there. Probably some that aren't even archery people out there. So Right. No, it's always nice to go out there because I know that I am planning on walking at least one of the days with you. You signed up for two, right? Yes. Okay. So I'll probably walk with you on Friday. Or did you do Saturday and Sunday? I did Friday and Sunday. Sunday. Right? My okay. dad wants to come out Friday too. Yeah? Yep. Okay. So I was planning on going and walking on Friday with you. Um, but it's it's always fun. I'm wondering if they'll have the lifts going. They probably will. More than likely, they'll have the clipper going. I don't know. Were you going to take Friday off? Uh, uh, I'm sick. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. That's the girls' last day of school. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm probably going to be sick. No, probably not be sick. Just I'll probably only work a partial day. Yeah. Because my, uh, my uh, tea time essentially is 10 o'clock. All right. Well, I mean, if I get after it and I put in my hours early like I always do, I could potentially be done that early in the morning yeah okay all right sounds good to me all right <laughs> i want to i want to ride the the lift okay all right so before i forget we need to do this one we need to do the conservation news desk oh you like that yeah all right well the girls should be reading this they don't want to really yeah they both said no <gasps> That's horrible. I don't know. Well, they don't want to do it, so okay. whatever. All right. So this first one is, I've seen it come across like my news feeds type, you know, probably for the several weeks now. And I didn't really want to do it just because it's not something that's all that exciting to talk about. It's the piping, was it Pulvers? Pulvers. Oh, plo- plovers. 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 Well, they're... Again, another mating season. It is. And that's why I think part of the reason why it's come up because they are not doing well. They, well, they, they typically struggle because of mating season and, and people don't heed the warning that's out there with, Hey, don't go on the beaches with your animals because it, once the plovers come off their, their nest, they necessarily don't really return to the nest. Yeah. So if you don't know, or if anyone doesn't know, they're a small, you know, sand colored, kind of like a sparrow sized bird. It's a ground nesting bird that basically builds its nest on the shorelines. So, uh, a lot of the East coast and here in the Midwest, especially along the, the lake shore here in Michigan, um, the land co- coast and again, the Northern great plains. And they've been listed as fairly federally threatened since 1985. So why aren't they doing well? Well, there's several reasons. Predators, human traffic. So like you were saying, you know, foot traffic, because they come back in the springtime, they start their nesting. That's when everyone starts hitting the beaches and starts getting out more, doing hiking and everything like that. So, and then 
probably the big one is their ground nesters. Yep. And ground nesters have been struggling um, for a while now. Um, you know, basically turkeys, quail, those types of animals too. Um, any of those ground nesting animals are struggling because of habitat and predation. So the human foot traffic, we already covered foot traffic, vehicle traffic along roadways near the beaches and lakeshore. Just so like you were saying that if anyone interrupts the nest, then there's a good possibility that it may not come back. Right. And I know that they have um, warnings up along um, the Sleeping Bear National Dunes Lakeshore. Um, yeah. I saw that sign not too long ago at Ash Road Beach. Um, so it is definitely up. They're not really wanting even the pet friendly beaches. They're not really wanting you to take your pets out. Yep. at this point and what they do is that if they do find a nesting pair somewhere they'll actually try to kind of like fence it off or cage it off to where you know basically that nest is protected so i guess at that point anybody who's listening if you see a a piping plover nest um reach out to your local dnr office and let them know that you came across one that way they can mark it um they are looking to get numbers of those birds this year Yep. And another issue that they're having is with some of the birds in their selection of their nesting locations. So again, they're on the they're on the lakeshore. Now, the ones that aren't struggling are the ones that are nesting above the high water mark as well. Now, there's other ones that are basically nesting in the overwash areas. So they're areas where if there's you know high waves or if the water levels up then basically the nest is getting washed away. So part of it is on the birds for picking a poor location to build their nest. So if they build it, you know, where the water can wash up to it, then that nest is gone. So that's part of the issue as well. And then again, the big one is predators. So you're looking at any type of ground nesting predators. So, you know, foxes, raccoons, coyotes. <laughs> foxes, you did it foxes. again. Foxes. Oh man, I'm gonna get yelled at again. Fox. <laughs> and then of course they've got bird predators as well that will prey on the nest. Eagles, our beloved national, you know, bird. The eagles will definitely see it as easy pickings. Yep. So certainly, yeah, if you see them, keep your distance as usual. And uh, yeah, again, you brought up a good point. If you see any, especially if it's a nesting pair, reach out to the DNR, let them know where they're at. Cause so the National Park Service um, says that there are only 75 to 80 nesting pairs um, in the state. And that those numbers are from 2017. I didn't find any, you know, recent numbers, anything sooner than that or anything more recent than that. But it is up. So they they had a low down to 17 pairs back in 1960 or 1986, 1986. <laughs> I told you it's coming off the rails. Hey, at least it's not me. Now it's you. <laughs> so, yeah, so the numbers are up, but they're still not doing well. Now, news article or news but i had to say it because it's just like a public service announcement really <laughs> about people need to stop getting so close to dangerous wildlife so this story <laughs> is a woman got attacked by a bison at yellowstone national park 
They oh. originally reported it as that she was gored to death. I don't know who report who decided to go that far, but she is okay. Is she? Because yeah. I didn't I didn't get an update on it. So yeah, she's okay. Somebody decided to just to report out that it that she died. Oh. Um. So, yeah, definitely. Even if they the animals look cute, don't don't walk up to them. Well, it's one. It's a common sense thing that apparently people haven't caught on yet. These larger animals, you know, bison, elk, you know, any of these, even deer, like at certain times of year, you don't want to approach them. Like they're dangerous. They're territorial. Certain times of year, I don't think I'd want to actually legitimately approach them any time of the year. Right. So basically, what happened? This twenty-five-year-old. Um, Basically, the park has a rule of essentially staying at least 25 feet away. Well, she got within 10 feet of it. It charged, threw her up in the air, and then gored her. So she did end up getting transported to a hospital in Idaho. And again, I didn't get any updates on how her condition was. But it's just one of those things that you hear these stories every year and this is something that people need to know. Like, you don't get that close to these animals. And if you do, you're taking your life into your hands. So, I just saw, like, three different news outlets that said that she died. But I think they might have been looking at something else. But also reading through um, Smithsonian Magazine, um, their website, Somasonian, SmithsonianMag.com, um, they are reporting on that. And they... <clears throat> they they put in here that at five to six point five feet tall and upwards of two thousand pounds, um, the bison are the largest land animal in North America and can run at speeds at upwards of forty miles per hour. So I don't think I'd want to mess with that at all. So keep your distance, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> um. They've also reported on here that 56 people were injured and two died from bison attack in Yellowstone between 1978 and 1992, um, while 25 were injured between 2000 and 2015. Um, yeah. And well, they said the majority of the attacks were a result in visitors getting too close yeah. often to photograph. So well, was it last year or the year before uh, with that little girl that got tossed and the parents took off running? Was it a little girl or a little boy? I don't remember. It was remember. a little girl. I remember that. Because, yeah, she, yeah. like, and there's, and the video shows, like, the parents just took off and left her behind. And the bison threw her. Now, fortunately, she was okay. Right. But, yeah, just another prime example. Like, I don't know. Do you think, I think it's people that just either don't understand that, like, these aren't docile animals, really. Like, they may look like it, but they're not. It, it probably goes with the fact that, you know, they go to a park like this and they think that the animals are tamed. Right. Because they're at a national park. Yeah. I don't know. But, yeah, it's just people just don't understand that. Don't do that type of stuff. Right. I don't. I wouldn't. I don't know. No. I mean, bring a, a camera or a phone that has like a good zoom lens. And then there you go, ta-da! There's your picture. Yeah, I don't know. Just you shake your head at every time you hear a story. It's like, what are these people thinking? I know they're cool looking, but there's nothing between you and them, and they're going to get you. <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, so again, not really a conservation story, but it was something that I read the the article on it and just shook my head at it and was like, all right, this is one I just got to cover because it's just ridiculous that people are still getting too close to these bison in the parks. Right. <laughs> it's just a friendly reminder. I mean, people are going to start going on vacations um, and then even here, you know, you're going to see more wildlife. Don't don't approach them. Let them be. Um, no different than, you know, when you're out and about where there's a whole bunch of other people. Are you going to approach everybody? No. <laughs> so just just keep it in mind like a with an animal. Don't approach them. Um, just admire them from a distance. Give them their space. Yep. All right. Well, now that the public service announcement is over, <laughs> now let's get into it. So, yeah, exploring the outdoors. So, especially this time of year, there's a lot of things going on. I mean, turkey season is wrapping up now. I think there's a couple of days left of one final season somewhere downstate. I saw somewhere that it ran through June 7th, but I don't know what unit that is. But essentially, turkey hunting season's over. Now, I ended up buying a tag. Never made it out, so I guess I... It's fine. I did my uh, work towards conservation buying a tag. I'm not a fan of wild turkey, though. It just... Maybe you just need to learn how to cook it better. Whoa, hold on now. The one time <laughs> I sliced it up real thin and breaded it and fried it up, that I was, was being, good. I was being nice. Well, I thought it was good. That's, that's fine, but well, I don't I, think it's that good. I like uh, the idea of potentially just doing domestic turkeys. That way I don't have to worry about going turkey hunting and they're going to taste better. Yeah. If you don't like them wild. Yeah. yeah. Cause that, we, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, because we listened to the, that Hunterbore podcast and he was talking about it. Mm-hmm. How he went just around back to <laughs> yeah. turkey. <laughs> he went to the barn and picked picked one out. Yep. I like that idea. Yep. I'm with him on that one. Because turkey hunt's fun, but it's like, I'm never really into it. No, you're not. I mean, you're more into just walking around and looking for deer i know i get distracted scouting for deer yeah (laughs) so i guess that's your um excuse to get out to go looking for signs of deer just i'm gonna go turkey hunting yeah but really i'm just gonna go look and see if i can find where deer are bedding right now yeah but this year was interesting again too because for a lot of people it was tough hunting and other people, they did really well. So it's it was pretty much came down to if you were able to find the areas where the turkeys were because it was kind of more sporadic that way. Either we're in an area where the turkeys were or you weren't. Have you looked into it? Are the turkey numbers down in Michigan? Um, last one I checked, they really weren't yet. But I, honestly, I, I haven't looked into it lately. The... Do really speak on it. Um, I know across the country they're noticing a drop in turkey numbers. Michigan actually does a really good job um, on habitat work and whatnot. They were actually uh, the state of Michigan was actually given an award um, from the uh, National Wild Turkey Federation on the work that had been done. I would say probably a lot of the turkeys are further south, like us being along the lakeshore and whatnot, 
we probably are seeing probably a small drop in numbers because we, again, we don't necessarily have the best habitat for turkeys. Whereas where if you get more into the central part of the state or down south, it's much more set up for them with a lot more open fields and whatnot. So Yeah, because it just, to me, it seems like, you know, growing up, I mean, you'd always see a bunch of turkeys all the time. Yeah. And now it's it's very, like, few and far between um, that you see a, a group of turkeys anymore. Yeah. And again, if you're in areas, you'll see lots of turkeys. And then if you drive a little ways, then you'll come up with areas that have absolutely no turkeys. And you could, you know, hunt all day and walk forever and not get on them. And then you hit one spot and there they all are. So you'll have to talk to Kelvin and figure out how to master the turkey calling skills. (laughs) I'm not too bad at turkey calling. He and Caitlin did a really good job this year. They each harvested one. I guess he called both of them in, so. Yeah. Yeah, but again, I just, I have all the best intentions of putting forth the effort for it, and then I just never do. Right. I don't know. I don't think you've ever really been really big on turkey hunting. No. I want to. I try to, but then when it comes down to it, I'm just like, eh. Yeah. But yeah, so let's dive into the second thing then that I spent more time on. That's fishing. Yeah, you did. That so, was amazing. So, yep, took uh, took Tegan out fishing and got into a bunch of the panfish. So, you went on Memorial Day. We did. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, that's the big one. Probably we're going to spend a lot more time on. I mean, right now, I think all the game fish, their seasons are open right now. I think there's only a few lakes where you can't fish yet. Or at least keep them anyways. You have to do immediate catch and release, but most everything else is open. So if you're into fishing, whichever species you like to target, you can get after it right now. And it's it's good pickings. It was, yeah. So, yeah, the lake we went out, we got into the bluegill quite a bit. We were finding a few of them on the beds there. Actually, a lot of them were on the beds. So we were trying to not completely wipe out the bed areas, So, but... There were areas, I mean, they were so congregated around that, so. But we got into some pumpkin seed, rock bass, and kept those too, so. We did a big old fish fry. Mm-hmm. It was delicious. Yeah. Tegan was stoked because she was actually able to limit out on the panfish, so. Yep. And you and Tegan ended up doing a full fish? Yeah. Yep. Eating the... Well, the fins. I don't know what you call it if you just clean the fish and have it whole, essentially. I don't know. Delicious. Yeah. But yeah, she was much better at uh, picking the bones clean than I was even. <laughs> and she was and she really had, all about the fins. Yeah. Eating the, t- the tail fin. Yep. Yep. But yeah, so, I mean, we ended up with 35 to 40 fish that we ended up cleaning and able to cook up and... Gave your sister some. Yep. Yep, we're able to share some of it. And I made homemade tartar sauce. Right? But yeah, so I mean, it's that time of year where it's, you know, if you're into fishing, it's about best time for it, really. Yeah, you're going to be too busy to go fishing this weekend. Yeah, I know. But there's always the weekend after. Well, Tegan even, we weren't even, we weren't even home yet. 
thinking about when the next time we need to go fishing. Well, I mean, the birthday party that we have to go to is not going to be an all-day thing, so there is a possibility. Which I actually thought about towing the boat along because we could go out to one of the lakes out there. Yeah. And go do some bass fishing in the evening. Yeah. That sounds like a good idea. All right. And then see if maybe we can swing by your ma's and have dinner with your mom. Sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the next one is the main reason why I brought you along on this one is for the foraging. Mm. So we went out, what, a week ago, week and a half ago? Yeah. A week. A week to two week, weeks week, ago. Yeah. All right. So we were trying to, mm-hmm. well. Find the elusive morel. Yep. Which... We failed. We, yeah. We're just not finding them this year. I know some people, um, like our our pastor, his uh, daughter. Yeah, she cleaned house. She had a whole pile of them. Yeah, she did. But yeah, so we didn't find any morels. But I mean, that's that's the big one in the spring that most everyone across the country really is going after oh yeah yeah so it's it's so much better if you can find them yourself instead of going and buying them from somebody because they're they're what like stupid ridiculous when people actually sell them they're like 50 bucks a pound yeah up to, yeah. yeah 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 so that's definitely the most prized mushroom in the spring so so what do we really know that you found find them in the the woodland or you know <laughs> Woody edges. Or you don't. Or you don't. You find them along uh, the banks of, of water. Yep. Or you don't. Yep. Around dead or decaying trees. Like oh. yeah. or elm, you don't. ash, or ma- maple. <laughs> or not s- maple, apple. Right. And they that's say where we that found them last year. Yeah. And they say you do not find them around conifer. However, I've found them along the base of pine trees. Um, yep. Or in a cedar forest. But the, typically, I'm doing air quotes. I don't know why I'm doing air quotes. I do that <laughs> all the time. Typically, you don't find them in something like that. But they're, when it comes to morels, there's no typical. It's Yeah. I did read, though, that burn areas are really good. Hmm. So we should have gone to where they burned. Well, it's supposed to rain tonight. Yeah. So we can maybe... See, some, see if we can find some late Saturday ones. Saturday, early morning, before we head to the birthday party. So we're just going to do all day out that way? All day? Yeah. What bur- I'm talking about the burn area by our house. Oh, by our house? Yeah. I thought you were talking about the one over by... No. I figured the one over there because that was last year. They burned it last yeah, year. Yeah, that does make sense. Oh, sorry, I just kicked the desk. Jeez, you're making all sorts of noise now. I know. <laughs> no, that does make sense. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's last year's burn area. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, if we're going to be fishing that lake, because, you know, I don't really like to sit in the boat. Yeah. So I can just... Wander. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And then what's the proper way to harvest them? What, a morel? Mm-hmm. You cut them off flush to the ground. Yep. You don't pull them out of the ground, right? Nope. You cut them off. And, yep. And then, what, and then what do you put them in? You put them in a, one of those uh, 
like onion bags, yep. essentially. So that way, if there are any spores still left in the morel crevice, you are actually dropping the spores. Yep. And you allow airflow around them so they're not getting Correct. all nasty in like a plastic bag. I like how you're quizzing me. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> all right. And then the one that we actually were able to, or some things we were able to harvest, were ramps. Yes, they are absolutely delicious. Um, yeah, I did not, oh gosh, I can't even say the word, sustainably, there we go, that was difficult for some reason. I did not sustainably harvest them, um, only because the area that we found, it was an it was a few older colonies, um, which you should thin those out uh, because they will eventually choke, choke themselves out. Um, but what you really want to do is you don't actually want to take the bulb right. of the ramp. Um, you want to take the leaves and part of the stem because you will get that oniony taste um, from the, the stem part. Um, so if you do come across a, an older colony definitely you want to go ahead and take the whole entire bulb um, or if you want to take some and, and transplant them if you have an area that's suitable um, I know that we did that with my brother they did transplant those and they did come back nice. and it's actually doubled the colony because we only gave them about a colony worth um, so they have about two colonies so just be mindful of of how you're you're harvesting them um, all right, well, I'm almost inter interject here. You're, yeah. We need to cover what ramps are. So ramps are essentially a wild onion. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I got all excited because I love them. That that show up in the spring. Yes. And you'll find them again in wooded, I guess, I guess woodlots, really. Yeah, yep, definitely wooded areas where there's, you know, a little bit of sunlight that comes through. Yep. And they'll have a very strong onion flavor um, for, especially for their size, really. Right. Um, but yeah, you'll see them. Um, I guess, how would you describe the leaves? If you've seen um, like Lily of the Valley, um, they kind of look like Lily of the Valley. That's why you, you do need to be very careful about it um, because Lily of the Valley are very poisonous to humans. So if you accidentally ingest Lily of the Valley, um, it, it doesn't bode well. Right. Um, so which it, it'll be easy to tell because if you do pull it, it will, you can smell the strong oniony smell or right. garlicky smell even it, potentially. It's mostly oniony. Mostly oniony. Yep. Yeah. So typically they will have two large leaves. Um, so if you've seen like a trillium out in the woods, it looks like the greenery of the trillium. Yep. Yep. So to so if you're har when you're harvesting to do the sustainable harvest if you're going to harvest the entire plant what you're to do is cut basically the bottom what third of the bulb off and leave the bottom of the root system in I wouldn't even do that Well that's I mean that's one way of doing it Yeah I suppose Yep and then basically you try to disturb the ground as least as possible leave that bottom part of that bulb in the ground that way it could potentially re-sprout um, the other one is you can harvest just the leaves mm -hmm. and if you're going to do that one 
just harvest one of the leaves off the plant. Don't do both. Right. And then, and then basically another big one is don't over harvest one area, which we try to do too. take a few, move on to another colony area or another part of the woods Mm -hmm. and take a few more from there. Right. The other way too, is if you end up going out into the woods with a hoary, hoary knife, I don't know if, I don't think you even know what that is. No. Um, I bought my dad, um, this couple Christmases ago. So it's a trowel, um, that is sharp. It's a sharpened trowel. So it, it is like a knife, it's a ground knife. Um, so using one of those, and if you go in at an angle, um, at the, the ramp, um, that would work too. Yep. And I think, I think when I was reading up on it, that they recommended that type of tool to be able to do that. Right. And then for storage, storing them, you know, they're best certainly fresh, but you can, uh, well, the bulbs you can freeze. Mm-hmm. You can you can actually blanch and freeze the leaves. Okay. Yeah, the leaves. It seems like they lose a lot of their flavor once they they, they do. But I mean, if you're looking to have them added as like part of a salad, it really doesn't matter. Yep. And then they will hold for a short term just in the refrigerator. You got about four to seven days really before, especially the leaves start to wilt quite a bit. So if you're going to store them in the fridge, you're going to want to get after them. And you're looking at me. <laughs> See, the thing is, is with that, I don't care if the leaves are wilty because I end up cooking the leaves and they wilt anyways. Okay. So normally as long as it's not molding and looking gross, yep. I'm still going to use them. And then the other one that I've you know looked up a little bit is a lot of people do, they basically do like a compound butter with them or like a pesto type deal, which we kind of listen to Again, the Hunt for podcast about yep. that. Um, so you can, you know, put it in something additive like that that will sustain longer. And you can pretty much put it into whatever dish you want to put onions in with. You know, if you're doing the soup or big one is, you know, breakfast stuff or. Mm-hmm. Yes, breakfast stuff. Yep. So pretty much anything that you, you would put onions in for part of your dish. Right. And I'm going to do um, some ghee with uh, ramp leaves in it yeah so i did buy more stick butter to make ghee so do uh yeah butter with it and yeah because that'll be great for just seasoned cooking butter right i mean be fantastic yep yeah and then the other one that we tried for the first time was the pheasant backs yeah pheasant back pheasant back and then what's the uh proper scientific name for them Dryads. Yeah, dryad. Dryad dryad saddle. Dryad saddle, yep. Yep. So, again, another springtime. Or fall. Are they they in fall? Yep, they are also a fall. They're a late fall. So, they're another widely distributed mushroom in this, again, primary in the spring. Mm -hmm. Um, They get the name from their brown, feathery appearance on the top of the cap. And they attach, attach to the host tree. Um, so you're not going to find them necessarily growing out of the ground. Right. And the thankful thing with these guys is there is no lookalikes that can hurt you. So if you think that you've come across a, a pheasant back mushroom and it looks like the back of like a pheasant, bingo, because there's there's no lookalikes out there. Yeah, that's one of the ones that's what, you know, basically considered one of the safe mushrooms to 
go for because there's like you said no lookalikes right um let's see and then the other thing i didn't really pay attention to it but they say they have almost like a cucumber or like a watermelon rind smell to them yeah yeah i didn't i didn't even think about smelling them <laughs> see what they smell like but <laughs> um and then really just um for harvesting um, go for the smaller ones you want to if you can look um, at the pore size before you harvest yep definitely do that um, you want a smaller pore um, they will be more tender and then you figured out <laughs> that you definitely have to use a knife to get them off the tree right because especially around the stem that's where it's going to be most um I guess the toughest really mm -hmm. and yep going for the smaller one so you know a three inch or four inch diameter one um, you're probably going to be a better bet the bigger they are the tougher they're tougher they're going to get yeah. they get pretty I guess you know kind of leathery woody yeah. they get really really tough um, as they get older so yeah. and, and you want to do a clean cut because they will regenerate yep and so so the, for those um, pore sizes, you know, they say what pinhole size yep. really. Yep. Pinhole. Um, and then if you do get one that's a little tough, you can always cut away the more tender, you know, parts and I guess essentially discard or leave the tougher portions. Um, if you're finding some larger ones that are a little bit tougher. Or if you want to take the tougher portion, you can make a broth out of it. Right. Yeah. You jumping ahead of me on the cooking part. I'm yeah. Sorry. But yeah. So, um, so yeah, so you can do that certainly, um, you know, cook them down and like I said, do a stock or anything like that. So uh, the other thing is that they don't keep well. So if you are harvesting them, then you need to essentially use them within two days at the absolute max. You don't want to go past that. Yep. So either cook them up right away. And again, you can cook them in to any dish that you might do a mushroom. Now they're not going to be, they don't have a lot of flavor. Um, so they, a lot of times will be cooked in something that they can absorb flavors from other parts of the dish. So if you put them in like a sauce or collect drippings from whatever. Bacon grease. Bake, ooh, bacon grease would be good. Well, we used chicken. We, did we do the chicken sausage? No, we did not. I did the chicken sausage, um, for something else with mm. the rest of my porcini mushrooms. Yeah. So essentially what we did, we toast up some bagels put some put some pheasant back and some of the ramps cooked them in butter and i think you did some stock too right no 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 but no and then eggs over easy yep that. and then put those yeah put the the ramps in the mushroom on the bagel and then laid a an over easy egg on top and it was pretty darn good it was delicious i mean i guess the only thing that was downfall is that we did have some tougher pieces that were yeah. kind of chewy <laughs> it was okay but again, with the that you know yolk dripping down on top and then with the bagel, pretty tasty. Mm, you're making me hungry. <laughs> yeah. And then, so the next thing that I've been really working on is doing habitat work down at the farm. Well, you're you're going further on me. What do you, you mean? You didn't put in the notes of what else I've harvested. Purslane. What? Purslane. 
purse line. Yeah. Remember what I uh, took from my dad's garden that we will once in a while get in our garden? Oh, well, yeah. I guess if you want to talk yeah. about what that is. <laughs> purse lane is um, it's a succulent um, that is typically found at least in the northern area. Um, and what you do is it, it doesn't matter what size the plant. Um, the bigger the plant, the more leaves you'll have. Um, but then the stems will be a little harder to eat. So if you get a juvenile plant, um, all you really need to do is just clean it um, and then cut off any root system. And then you can put it in any type of salads. Um, it is very high in vitamin C when it's raw. Um, if you cook it, it's high in vitamin A. So there's no way you can go wrong with this plant. And it, it is not a strong flavor either. You can toss it in a salad. You can toss it into, you know, soups. Um, it's just a, a greenery aspect. Um, I've heard it kind of has a little bit of a cabbage taste, um, but not too much. Yeah. Okay. So you will be trying that here sometime really soon. Yeah, because really the only spot I've ever seen it is either in our garden or in your dad's garden. So right. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I could probably recognize it if I saw it again elsewhere, but yeah, I don't know. We'll try it. Yeah. <laughs> I was all excited about it. Um, my dad was out in his garden. He's like, I need to weed. I go, I'll help you. <laughs> and he was looking at me weird because I was picking this purslane and keeping it. Um, he's always thought, you know, that was just weeds. Yeah. And, and I was excited. He's like, oh, well, go get yourself a bag and you can take it all. <laughs> so I helped him weed by taking the weeds for us to, to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> We're eating weeds. We're eating weeds. We're eating garden weed. Yeah. Well, I mean, we I did take some of his radishes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am planning on using the radish greens too. Okay. So there's nothing that's going to be going to waste good all right so now can you I, can go to your 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 stuff that you wanted to talk to about your your food plottings right so yeah so i put in the first well cover crop i always say slash food plot because you know it will be fed on and whatnot but primary goal of this is just to do a cover crop for prep for the fall food plot really so question would wheat be a good cover crop? It would be, but the way I terminate and whatnot, you wouldn't be able to really harvest it. Oh. Unless I, I mean, get down there with a... I mean, it would work for the, the bigger part of the field where I'm not planting food plots in, but... Because Tegan and I decided instead of trying to make the two-ingredient bread, we're going to make noodles with the wheat berries that I have that I'm going to try to make my own flour. Yeah, we could, but it's a little late now, especially because they're well, going to be... I'm not worried about it for this year. Okay. All right. I'm just asking for down the road. <laughs> yeah. Well, they are going to potentially be playing corn next year, so... Oh. But we'll see. We'll see what comes to that. Uh, all right. Where was I? Yeah. So got the <laughs> plot terminated and planted with new seeds so i put the buckwheat sunflower <laughs> let's go for it <laughs> uh sun hemp and what else did i get clover which 
I learned that Clemson clover doesn't isn't something you should plant as late as I did. So we'll see how it does. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's coming up. So again, that'll get terminated first of August when I start putting in the fall crop essentially, and that'll be basically like more or less mainly clover and brassicas, peas, oats, and uh, rye. You're not you're not gonna do turnip for your pet deer this year. That's brassica. Oh, that's well, not brassica see, family. I don't. I'm not all up on all of this stuff. Yeah, but the one thing I did realize going down there, um, yesterday was it yesterday? Yeah, it was just. Mm, yeah, so it? I could do my soil sample. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Because you worked Friday night. Yep. So I got a bunch of horsetail or field horsetail weeds growing there. Mm. Now they're basically like a almost look like a little stemmy, like pine needly leaf yep. weed. Which you can eat those. <sighs> okay, but I don't want them in, in my food plot, so they're gonna get some heavy herbicide probably next year because they're glyphosate resistant. Yeah, they are. But you can eat them. And you can't, well, you can try to remove them mechanically, but if you don't get the entire root system, they'll just sprout back. So this is one thing that is going to have to be addressed. So uh, there's a couple of different options I can go through. I can either here in the next week or so, go through with some 2,4-D, spray it, and hopefully that 2,4-D is actually out of the ground system by the time I come to plant because that can t- stay in the ground for up to or around 60 days essentially. So it's kind of pushing it on, you know, when I want to plant again, it may kill essentially the, the fall plot when I go to plant it. So it'll probably be next year. So with that, again, have to pretty much go through. They actually recommend that you actually like mow it or trim it in some way to break that basically the part of the plant off because it's got a pretty thick skin and it actually protects itself from, you know, so basically surface application. So. And you do have, the, you said the field horsetail? Yes. And not rough horsetail, right? I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I'm not the best at identifying. There's but so many different types. Does it look like? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it almost looks like that, like seaweedy stuff that you can put in like aquariums. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's wood horsetail that definitely it looks like you have like a tiny little pine cone at the top. Yeah. Nope. Okay. So yeah, the the field horsetail is actually pretty good for you. Yeah. Um, so one thing so I'm looking at, well, why is it there? So it was there initially when I first started the food plot program. And so I've never really been able to completely kill it out. And I think part of it, the reason why it's so bad this year is from tilling last year. Cause yeah. the one area where, um, I really wanted to till it because the batch wasn't breaking down fast enough. That's where it's grown in the worst. So by tearing up that plant, it re-sprouted even thicker. Now, the other thing is, too, it really likes poor soils. So if you have, if it's acidic, if you have poor drainage, which the drainage is the issue yeah. down there because it's 
down by the creek bottom. So that's essentially, I think the main reason why it's thriving there is because it's so wet. So question for you. Okay. Are the leaves bright green right now on them or are they, I mean, is it sprouted out? Yeah, they're green. They're, I always say they're like a, almost like a, I don't know. They're, yeah, like okay. a bright light green. All right. Well then we need to harvest them. Don't just straight up kill them. We can, we can harvest a few. Okay. Well, get down there then. Okay. <laughs> Cause you want to harvest them early. All right. So well, yeah, as long as they're bright green. They're only like six, six inches tall. Okay. Because, yeah, if if the leaves on them are drooping, then it's past the time that. Well, yeah, because it, it hasn't sprouted that little seed, right. little sprout yet or sp- seed head yet. So they're still early. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll go down there. And well, don't you remember the girls and I were looking to harvest a horsetail when we went for a walk? Oh, gosh, it was a few years ago. Um out by our house but the horsetail it it wasn't quite ready yet it was it was awfully immature you yeah. probably don't remember nope nope but yeah so basically been doing that and then again down the property we still have a bunch of the autumn olive to get rid of the honeysuckle to get rid of gotta trim back some of the field edges so what you're saying is here in the next few weeks, I'm not going to be seeing a whole lot of you? Pretty much, yep. Okay. Yep. That's correct. All right. <laughs> I suppose. But, I mean, that's for, yeah, later this summer. Yeah. Well, you have to get, make sure everything is all set before we go on vacation and then... Yep. Um, Yep, part of the goal is to have it planted before we leave. That way, we, when we leave, I'm not wanting to run down there and see how it's doing right away. It gives it a week or two to do its thing before I start getting antsy and want to see what's going on. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then, well, you'll be leaving in November again, right? Yes. Okay. Well, more than likely. I haven't drawn the tag yet, but there's good likelihood of it. But yeah, so that, I mean, that's really what we've been doing the past few weeks, really. And I mean, it's, like the, again, like we said, the fishing, that's all summer long. And then pretty much doing habitat work. And yeah, and depending on where exactly you are, you can forage for stuff all year well not really all year i mean the winter is a little difficult but <laughs> in the summer there's we're gonna things. get that woody brows during the winter right yeah <laughs> um because in the late spring you have the possibility of finding chicken of the woods yeah and the what chantrells <laughs> whatever they call the orange ones yeah <laughs> is that the or- I thought the orange ones was chicken of the woods. I don't know. I need to take a look at my. Is chicken of the woods and hen of the hen of the woods the same thing? Oh, you're asking me some crazy questions here. Because I know hen of the woods is like a brown. Chicken of the woods is orange. Oh. It's like almost. Yeah, like no. These are ones. These are. I think the 
these ones would come out of the ground. I think I'm saying it right. Shan. Santrells. Santrells. Shan. I don't know. I don't know. You're going to have someone that's going to message you and be like, hey, you northern Michigan hillbilly. <laughs> it's well, this. everyone knows they can't talk. I say foxes. Right. <laughs> um, looking up Hen of the Woods. Hen of the Woods is, yeah, yeah, Hen of the Woods is the darker one. Yeah. Chantilly mushrooms, maybe? I don't know. Chantrell, no, Chantrell yeah. mushrooms. Yeah. Those are, oh, okay. Now I know what you're talking about. Because mm-hmm. they look like a little, uh, they almost like have like a trumpety like shape. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do forage wise. You can, you know, fishing. I mean, this is the time of year, especially. I mean, there's hiking, just camping, just enjoying the outdoors while the weather's nice, really. But yeah, I don't know. There's lots to do. We set our goals for the summer. Right. Oh, the big thing is really just trying to make time to be able to get out there and actually enjoy the outdoors. Yes. The one thing that I do want to put out there is anybody that is going and looking for mushrooms at any point, if you cannot properly identify it, don't pick it. Don't eat it. Um, there are multiple Facebook pages out there um, that people who are masters of this stuff um they are always commenting on you know pictures um letting you know you know is it safe to eat or not so look up i think it's especially for michigan i think it's michigan foraging um is the one um and then there's um mushroom identification so definitely look up those um before you even go out if you're you're not into foraging definitely go out and and look at those pages um the other thing is is it doesn't hurt to swing by your local bookstore grab a book and and just open it up bring it along with you i know i brought mine along we didn't use it because there wasn't really too much that we needed to identify um, I know that there's a few apps out there. Um, picture this is the one that I use. Um, it will tell you um, the type of mushroom, um, but you'll have to do your own um, searching at that point. Yeah, and I'm just going to close that out by saying, if, especially if you're new to the you know, foraging aspect, stick with the easy stuff to start until you start getting better with it. You know, there's a lot of things out there that you can harvest, but go with the easy ones to start. And then as you get more comfortable with it, then you can start progressing to other types of plants that are out there. Yeah, because there is a lot out there that you can harvest. Um, And there's a lot of different things that you can do, Um, especially plants that are in your own yard that you just think is a weed. Um. So there's, there's a lot of different things out there. Just you need to get out there and, and learn what it is and, and just make sure that you have properly identified it before you consume it. Yep. Yep. Or again, if you want to play it safe, just go out fishing or something. Because <laughs> that's, that's what I want to do. 
Okay. All right. I'm not stopping you. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we should wrap this up. I'm having too much fun. <laughs> All right. Well, you have fun then. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to leave me. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I, I don't think I can entertain the listeners like you can. I'm, I don't know. Just, just call me the outdoorsy hippie one with nature. My mom says I'm into the hippie dippy doo da stuff. <laughs> well, that's good. We'll have something to talk about then outside of just hunting stuff then. I like food. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're hunting or fishing or, or going out and, uh, clipping those dandelions that are, that are in your yard, I mean, there's, there's so much that you can eat. Yeah. And that's one thing that's nice for me is that as long as I bring home something that we can eat, you're usually on board with me going out and doing these activities. Yep. <laughs> All right. Thanks for spending time with us, everybody. <laughs> and and putting up with another episode with me. <laughs> I know it's probably not as fun as other people, but nah, we're good. We appreciate you. All right. That's a wrap.